We're gonna swim, bike and run In the corner sun We're gonna swim, bike and run In the corner sun 2021 Thank you, Pacho Man! Hey everybody, welcome back to Breakfast with Bob Not Quite Cone Edition my name is Bob Babbitt. We're brought to you by Challenge North America, by Credo Tri, You Can, Hoka One One, VeloFix, Norma Tech, Canyon Bikes, and of course, our Challenge Athletes Foundation. Last week, we sent out 3,038 grants, totaling $5.1 million to keep challenged athletes in the game of life through sport. Our next guest, a guy who lives and breathes sports every single day of his life, he is the ultramarathon man himself, New York Times bestselling author, his new book, is called A Runner's High, My Life in Motion by the always awesome Mr. Dean Carnesis. Dean, how the heck you doing? And I love the Endurance Awards awards behind you. <laughs> I had to put those on display just for you, Bob. I love that. And, uh, you know, let, let's start just by congratulating you with all the success with Challenge Athlete Foundation and that most recent accomplishment. I mean, phenomenal, absolutely phenomenal. Well, you've been there for the whole time and we started it 27 years ago and it's been, we're over $123 million raised, over $30,000, 30,000 grants sent out. So it's, uh, it's been, it's been pretty special, but what I, what I love about this new book is I feel in this book that you share more about sort of the tough times that maybe we, we hadn't seen before. Cause you know, you and I have chatted. I remember when you were running across the U S you were running left Disneyland and we're running across the U.S. and you're like one day into this thing and you were a mess because it was like hundred some degrees but that wasn't public stuff that was you and I chatting uh, did you try to keep sort of the tough part of it a little bit under wraps through the years? I think so I don't I mean it's a tough balance right you don't want to come off as a complainer because let's face it you know I live an ideal lifestyle but, you know, it is a, hard, a lot of hard work, and I don't think a lot of people understand what goes into it. Uh, you know, you, people like you and um, Dave Scott, you know, you guys have carved out this career path out of nothing. And I have such admiration for that, but it's really tricky. Well, and you were, yeah, I mean, you have done the same thing, right? You went from a real corporate job to deciding I'm going to make a living as a quote unquote ultra runner. And at the time... Ultra runners were considered, you know, we're, we're talking witness protection guys. We're talking people <laughs> who, the only reason people were doing ultra running was to sort of like, they're on the lamb from something and nobody really knew. And ultra runners didn't want any publicity. That's the part that always blew me away. When you came in and were creating publicity, were you surprised there was actually a backlash? Yeah, I, I was accused of giving away the holy grail of running by exposing the world to uh, ultra running. Uh, you know, and so be it. I understand, you know, it is difficult to get into some of the marquee races. That's one of the, the kind of downsides of the popularity of the sport, like to get into Western states. I write about this in the book. The, you know, the odds are slimmer than getting into Harvard. So a lot of the, you know, the really big marquee events have waiting lists and um, they have lotteries. But other than that, the sport is still, you know, it's, it's still fairly underground. I mean, you and I are in the industry, so we know about it. But most lay people still don't know that people run 100 miles. Well, and they know they might have heard of Western states. They might have heard of Badwater or Leadville. But beyond that, a Rocky Raccoon, I mean, all these other events don't exist. 
So when I look at the one event that, that you have done a ton, I mean, done a lot of them a ton, but Western States, and you go back to when you were 30 years, 31 years old, back in 1994, was that your first one at Western States? First, yeah, my first ultra was 1993 and my first Western States, 1994, yeah. So first time out there, 21 hours, and then you're, you've gone back, what, a, a dozen times and you... Just you in 2018, you went, you know, 27 hours and uh, but you're talking a gap of 20 some years doing the same event. How has how have you adapted to that event and how has that event affected you? You know, it's funny. Um, I've grown with that event and that event has grown with me. You know, my first book, I describe Western states uh, pretty intimately, as I do in this most recent book. And to a lot of people that really influenced him to try this race. So the, the race has definitely grown up. But as I write in the book, you know, the unique thing about Western States is it's capped at 369 runners. <laughs> so the race, you know, there's thousands of people that want to run it, but only 369 can because it goes to a, a, a piece of um, wilderness that, uh, you know, doesn't allow organized races, but grandfathered in Western States in 1984. And so the number will never change. Uh, so the, the race now, the lore has kind of outstripped itself just because it is, you know, the, the Harvard or the Cambridge of, of ultra running. You just, it's so difficult to get in. What's fascinating to me is back in the day with Ironman, Ironman got to a point where the top pros could go make a living somewhere else, right? They go to Nice, they go to Powerman. And so Ironman in 1986 had to come up with prize money and that changed everything. Do any of these races have prize money? Yeah, I mean, the biggest purse, I think, is $10,000 uh, for a championship race. Yeah. So, I mean, compared to mainstream sports, it's, it's nothing. Nothing, right. No, it's nothing. In fact, you know, even obstacle course racing offers a lot bigger purses than ultramarathoning. And I think that's why a lot of uh, ultramarathoners started doing um, OCRs, just because the prize money is higher. What has kept you in it, Dean? I mean, like you said, that first Western States was 94 and then you know, 2018, you're still out there in your mid fifties going out there. And it, it really, it's, it's not a, it's not the best way to spend. I remember Scott Molina telling me once with Ironman, when I asked him, you know, how come you do the short races and don't do Ironman? He said, you ever been there? It's a pretty <laughs> crappy way to spend the day. When you're talking about a race with, what, 18,000 feet of climbing and 23,000 feet of descending. And you're talking, it could be 100 degrees and it can drop into the 40s and 50s at night. What is the attraction? I or think, is that the attraction? No, I think that you hit it on the head. I mean, I think it's the, uh, the spirit of just doing something insane and throwing yourself, you know, throwing yourself at it completely and it taking everything you've got to get to the finish line. So, you know, even, you know, running a marathon, I hate to say it's a given, but I'm pretty confident when I start a marathon, I'll get to the finish line. I mean, right. worst case scenario, everything goes horribly. It might take me five hours, which it hasn't before, but it might. But I know I'll reach the finish line. You know, at the start of Western States, there's a lot of question marks. <laughs> yeah. And inevitably, you learn a lot about yourself. And the more times I do it, especially as I'm getting older, the more I learn about myself, and my resilience. And, you know, it's it's amazing that people are doing the kind of things that I'm doing in our, you know, fifties and late fifties, because you look at mainstream sports and most, you know, most um, retired football players or basketball players, 
you look at them in their late fifties and you think there's, there's no way they can get back on the court. I mean, there, there's no way they're going to be that competitive where in endurance sports, there's people that are still competitive, you know, at these late ages. So I think we really have a unique group of people that are super fit. It, it, it is fascinating. Cause I remember when uh, Dave Scott in 1994 came and finished at 40 finished second after being away for five years. And everybody's like, Oh my God. And then Mark Allen won in 95 and he was 37. And, but over time, when we look at the top guys at Ironman now, Jan Ferdano's 40, Timothy O'Donnell is 40, and they're still at the, at the tip of the pyramid. How have you had to adapt to age to be able to still be, you know, to still be competitive, to still feel like, you know, that you have a chance at a, at a lot of these races? You know, I just show up at the starting line with uh, the same commitment at every race is I'm going to do the best I can. You know, my, my performances are so inconsistent as I've gotten older. So some days I have a great race. Other days, I, you know, it's, it's a horrible race. And I can't predict why. I'm not entirely sure why. But I just say to myself, you know, you're going to leave nothing on the course today. You're going to give it your all. And when you cross that finish line, you're going to be entirely spent. And if you have that commitment, you know, the only way you can fail is if you let yourself down. Um it's funny, you know, I'll enter like a, a fun run, like a 5k fun run and someone will I'll pass someone and they'll glance at me and say, Oh, they, you know, they'll look at me and I they kind of give me that look like, Oh, I know who this guy is. And they speed up. Like they don't want me to pass them. And it, sometimes these are, you know, people in their, in their thirties or, you know, even twenties. Yeah. And I get a kick out of that because, you know, here I am in my late fifties, just, you know, just trying to get to the finish line. Well, that's actually the best part. What I love in, in our, in the sport of triathlon, you wear, you have a n- number on your calf that says your age. The best part is if you go by a couple of people whose ages add up to less than you, right? You know, <laughs> you're, you're 60 and the two of them are 25 each and you go by them. That sort of ruins their day. They don't really like that very much. <laughs> so I think, you know, the thing with, the thing with Ironman is that yeah. it's a race, I mean, the thing with running um, 100 miles through the wilderness is kind of an adventure. I mean, Ironman is an adventure, but you don't just go do an Ironman. I mean, you get on a race course and you race Ironman. So it's all about your time and your place, where I think with ultramarathoning, it's a little less about that. And, you know, if you look at even Western states, most finishers, which I didn't realize because I've never, you know, finished um, uh, at any time above 24 hours, but most finishers finish in the last hour hour 29 to 30, most people come across and reach the finish line. So that really surprised me. Can you enjoy it as much when you're out there 27 hours rather than being, you know, uh, 21 hours? (laughs) I don't think there's any enjoyment in any of it. I don't care who you are. (laughs) There's a lot of pain and, you know, a lot of suffering, but I think that's, you know, that's our idea of fun. And, And you can enjoy it, Bob. I mean, a lot of it is, which I hope to capture, I hope I captured in the book. A lot of it is, is kind of hilarity of, you know, watching your body fall apart and how people respond to you. And, and then there's, there's, you know, there's sublime moments where, you know, you really have a reckoning with God out there. You know, you, you might see the full moon through the pine trees and, and there's really, you know, supreme feelings of bliss. And, you know, and then a couple (laughs) minutes later, you feel like you can't even take another step. One of the points you, you, you've made in the, in the book, one, one second you're running along and your rhythm is great and you're, you're fluid and smooth. The next fa- minute you're face down on the trail and you don't know where your body parts are. Uh, is, is part of the attraction 
of the, the whole ultra world, just the, that sort of unknown. This is a journey into the unknown. One, you know, it's a point A to point B, it's 100 miles, but you don't know if your body's going to handle it. You don't know if that food you ate last time you raced, it was great. This time is not going to be great. Talk a little bit about what, when you're doing that, when you're out at Western States, uh, how do you keep it from be, how do you keep it from beating you up? You know, I think there, there's a saying, you know, find, find what you love and let it kill you. And I think, you know, these races do kill us a little bit. They give us life, but they also take a lot out of us. Um, but I think that at least to me and to people like you, yourself, we, we'd rather live a life that's filled with highs and lows versus a life that's just planes along, you know, even keeled. I think we thrive on the highs and in a way we, we get a lot of energy out of the lows. Um, the lows motivate us to try harder. What are some of your favorite moments from Western States? You know, certainly um, I write a lot about my mom and dad in this book. It's been a family journey. I mean, Nick and Fran, who you know, <laughs> um, Nick, my dad is quite a character, but they've been along with me uh, on every Western States since day one. Every single one, they've been there. So a lot of, you know, coming out of the wilderness and hitting an A station and seeing them standing there is so endearing to me. Um, you know, I love the crowd. I love the energy. I just love everything about the race, the people, the camaraderie. Uh, it's, it's just, you know, it's, it's like Ironman, uh, Kona. It's, it's just a, a celebrated event that, you know, brings out the best in the human spirit. So when you started thinking about running this book, again, uh, a runner's high, my life in motion, Dean Carnesis, what did you want, what did you want people to come away with? from this one, because you've written Ultra Marathon Man, you've done your film, you've, you've pretty much accomplished anything associated with long distance. What did you want people to take away from this? I wanted it to be good storytelling. I wanted it to be a propulsive book where you pick it up and you start turning pages and yeah. get engaged in the story. Um, you know, like a good run, uh, when you're in the moment, in the here and now, all your problems kind of disappear. Uh, you're, in, you know, you're, you're just in this state of, of bliss. And I was hoping to capture kind of those moments in writing form so that someone could just get away from kind of the current situation we're in right now and, and take a journey somewhere else through someone else's eyes. I think a lot of runners and ultra marathoners and Ironmen, you know, will be nodding their head as they're reading the book because there's a lot of things that, that we experience that most people don't. <laughs> yes. And I think there's some comedy in that. So I, hope, I also hope the, the book's kind of enlightening. I mean, I talk about uh, running into the White House. We, we spoke about my run across America and, you know, getting a call from Michelle Obama as I'm, you know, coming up to Washington, D.C. And, you know, her saying, yeah, we stop on by. I'd love to meet you. So I talked about stop that. On by. Hey, this is let me give you the address. <laughs> I'll never forget running down Pennsylvania Avenue, you know, and there's all the tourists out in front looking and all of a sudden the gate opens and there's, you know, there's a special ops guy standing there with this you know, this Duca of a rifle, you know, and he's just like, hey, Carno, come on in here. <laughs> and all these, all these people are like, looking like, who is this guy? And I just run right into the White House. That is like the coolest thing. When you're, you know, mentally, when you're doing a hundred miler, you can be looking at, uh, you get to about mile 50 and you can be thinking, oh my God, I've got 50 more to do. Or you can be thinking, oh my God, I'm halfway done. You're obviously probably the latter, where you're always looking things as a positive. Do you have to fight that, where you've got the guy on one shoulder saying, this is stupid, 
I could be laying in my bed right now. I could have a min on my pillow. And the other guy go, no, you need to test yourself and find out where you're at. I think there's a little of both. Um, you know, I'll, I'll never forget the, the founder of um, Elliptigo, Brian Pate, who you know. Yeah. Uh, you know, he, he did Ironman. And he said to me at a point, he was so exhausted on both the ride and the run. He's just like, will, will a car please hit me? Please, you know, let me get in the, let me let a car hit me so I don't have to, I can stop and go to the hospital. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and some days you just feel like that. You just feel like, God, I wish I would just trip and fall and break something so I could stop because this is so miserable. But, you know, inevitably, if you can make it, it's so much more rewarding. I, I always... Uh call on different memories that you've shared with me over time and that I've seen from your movies and from your movie and from the books. And one of the ones that sticks out to me the most is, is when you were in, I think it was South Dakota, you were running a marathon a day. And a lot of times it would be people coming out to run with you. You know, you get, you know, 20, 30, 40 people. Well, this one day in, I don't know if it was South Dakota, wherever the hell it was, you, you had one woman who was a breast cancer survivor who was basically half wheeling you the whole run. You thought you were gonna have a nice easy marathon. <laughs> She's pushing you the whole time. Yeah, no, I'll never forget her, Amy. She was amazing. It was the, you know, of all the marathons I ran, that was the only time there was just one other person with me. Yeah. And, you know, she was very introverted and didn't talk much, but she was booking it. <laughs> and finally we got to the midway point and the course kind of turned downward. I'm like, you know, what, what's the rush? And she said, well, I got to get back to work. And I thought, wow, this woman's got a, you know, a large appetite for life. But then I said, well, what's your story? You know, why are you here? She said, well, I wanted to run my 50th marathon with you. And I said, that's amazing. This is your 50th marathon. She's like, yeah. And I said, when did you start running? And she said, I started running at, at 50. And I said, that's incredible. So in three years, you've run 50 marathons. You know, what got you started? And she said, well, I, uh, I had terminal breast cancer. And my doctor told me I had six months to live. And I looked at him and said, no, I'm, I'm not, not only going to beat breast cancer, I'm going to become a marathoner. And she did. And she, she had the best attitude. She had a double mastectomy. And she said, uh, she said to me, who needs them anyway? They just slowed me down. <laughs> Isn't that funny? Because you get all you get all these people meeting you along the way in this one rate. One you're doing it on your own with one person, and you sort of need her because you sort of need to know where to go, right? She's she's the local. It was the yeah, it was the Deadwood Mickelson South Dakota Marathon, and you're right, it wasn't very well marked. <laughs> yeah, but so I had her. Yeah, that's great. Um, so what's next? And one of the last times we chatted uh, before the whole world closed down because of COVID. The plan was to run a marathon in every country. We were talking, I think there was 208 or something like that at the time. Uh, what's, and the, the politics and the logistics obviously are way tougher than the running part. Where, where does that stand? It was looking really good. <laughs> Before COVID. I, I got to say, I met, you know, there's another guy that set out to run a marathon in every country of the world, mm -hmm. Nick Butter, who's become a good friend of mine. And he actually, he's done it. But it took him, um, I think, 600 days or something. It's some incredible amount, I mean, but he, he did it. So he's, I know it can be done, but he's a Brit. And we talked more, you know, we talked a lot. He's, he kind of helped me out. And he just slipped in quietly to a lot of countries and ran a marathon. And I can't do that. I'm a little more visible target. Yeah. So I had to go through all the right political channels. And it was coming together. <laughs> and I know I sound like a broken record because I've been saying this for for six or seven years, this thing has been 
really tough to pull together. And, you know, with COVID now, it's, it's a waiting game. I mean, you know, we got to get this pandemic under control and who knows how long that's going to take. For, for you, Dean, is there, besides that, is there some other things that you want to accomplish that you haven't done yet? Oh, there's tons of things I want to accomplish. Yeah. Uh, you know, I'm, probably, I'm going to give this one away, but there's, there's a trail, a continuous footpath across America. It's called really? the American Discovery Trail. So, you know, I've run across America, as you know, yeah. but a lot, most of it was on the road. And I'd love to uh, try to set the, um, well, there's no one ever, has ever run it yet. So the, not, not the fastest known time, but the first known time to run the American Discovery Trail. And where does, does, where does it start? It starts here in Northern California. Perfect. And yeah, and it ends um, uh, in Maine. So it goes all the way across the country. So if somebody does not know your story and happens to see this and say, hey, gosh, a runner's high, my life emotion, the incarnation I don't know much about this guy. What do you want them to come away with? You know that he, this guy loves running. I mean, he's kind of dedicated himself uh, to the sport and craft and lifestyle of running. And, uh, you know, and hopefully that he's a good storyteller. I hope that, um, you know, you are. you're a wonderful storyteller, Bob, and I learned so much from being around you. Um, you know, people relate to stories, right? And so hopefully someone can, you know, close this book after they're done with it and say, I'm going to go running. <laughs> That'd make me really happy. So besides you've done the look to go challenges, you've done obviously running. Um, anything, I, at one point you were talking about, I think, running in a ball across uh, to Catalina or something or across a, the, the ocean. Any other non-running specific things you want to do? Well, that, that, that running ball is called the Hydro Bronc. I ran it. I wanted to do a marathon, but it was just too much. So I ran a 10K in it, but it's, it literally was running on water. You know, I enjoy swimming as well. I know. Um, you were a windsurfer yeah. and all that stuff. Yeah. Yeah, windsurfer, surfer. So the adventures to me are going to continue. I mean, um, Elliptigo came out with a mountain bike. Uh-huh. So that has been really great. And, I, you know, Rebecca Rush puts on a, a great event, an Everest event. And uh, I was going to run it, you know, run the equivalent of Everest, but I think I'm going to do it on a elliptigo mountain bike now. Any winter stuff in your future? Beyond snowboarding, you know, I, I, after running a marathon to the South Pole, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> had my fill of winter. Yeah, that was that was plenty. But I, you know, I am supposed to go uh, to Greece to run ten marathons in ten days in June, and then I'm supposed to run across Australia in August. So hopefully that'll come together. Is there a Dean? You've been. I remember after watching the movie um, Ultra Marathon Man, where you ran, you know, fifty marathons, fifty days, fifty states, and they you were being evaluated throughout that whole time and checking your muscles and checking every, making sure you're okay. And it was like your body weight hardly changed, and it was like no muscle damage. Have you been able to stay injury free? And and why do you think you've been able to uh, to stay as healthy as you've been? Yeah, no, I mean, knock on wood, I never had an injury. And, uh, and I think it has to do with cross training. Yes. You know, we talked about the elliptigo. So I ride the elliptigo a few days a week. And yep. you know, Med rode a elliptigo as well before winning uh, both Boston and New York City. Yes. Uh, so I think the cross training helps. I also do a lot of upper body conditioning. Uh, so I have you know, pretty good muscle strength overall, which right. I think helps your form. And, you know, and also I've got good biomechanics for running. And that's hereditary. You know, you can't, your biomechanics, you inherit. 
Um, I think there's a saying that says the, uh, the best thing you can do as a long distance runner is to uh, choose your parents well. Exactly. So, yeah. Uh, what, weight training or do you do mainly just body weight? I do a little of both these days. So mostly body weight training, but, you know, serious sets of pull-ups, like I'll do a hundred pull-ups a day, usually, uh, push-ups, burpees. <laughs> I do a lot of burpees, uh, but then I do have some weights as well. Your, have your kids, when they looked at the craziness that dad's been doing for the last few decades, have your kids either gotten into this or gone, there's no way I'll ever run a step? You know, they've dabbled a little bit. They're not, you know, they, they don't race competitively, but, you know, my, my son runs just to stay in shape. And my daughter is definitely a trail runner. She, uh, we did uh, something called the, the Jam on Tam uh, oh. just last week, which is a, a run up to the top of Mount Tamalpais. So it's from basically from sea level up to 2,600 feet and then straight back down. It's seven miles just straight up the mountain and straight sure. down. So we did that together. Uh, so she still loves to run trails. We ran the, uh, the, uh, the Sonoma to um, the Calistoga or the Napa to Sonoma wine country half marathon. Yes. And that was a lot of fun. They, they serve uh, wine at the aid station starting at mile eight. At Western States, you did an 18. Will you be doing that again uh, when it's available? Yeah, I mean, I'd, I'd love, to, you know, I've got 13 buckles now. I'd love to get up to 20 buckles. And, you know, the, the challenge is that um, I, you know, I, I got to get in like everyone else through the lottery. So it's not, you know, if I could get in for seven more years, I think I could do it. But it's just, can I, you know, can I overcome those odds and actually get in? And how about bad water? Does that still appeal to you? Yeah, I'm going to go back. I, you know, Chris Kosman is a, a, a dear friend, is, and you know him as well. And, I said, when I turn 60 in a few years, I'm, I'm definitely going back. I told my family I'd stop at 10 and I've been faithful to that. But I, every year, you know, I see the application and it's just, I got to go running or else I'll, I'll sign up. <laughs> it's interesting uh, with, with COVID, the people not being able to race. I, I almost felt that people to a certain degree had been a little, maybe a little spoiled and oh, I won't do this race this year. I'll wait till next year. I have this, this gut that, Every race, once it's announced, is going to be selling out immediately because people are going to be so excited to get back to racing. It's going to be interesting to see how racing comes back online, especially, you know, Chicago. We talked about Chicago and Boston. <clears throat> you know, how, how are they going to do the expo, for instance? Right. Is there going to be a pre-race expo? And it's definitely not going to be like the experience we had in New York City a couple of years ago. What's fascinating is I remember talking to Dave McGilvery about Boston specifically, and you know how we take buses to the start of the race. Yeah. And based on COVID rules where you can't have 50 people on a bus, but would have to have 15, he would have needed rather than 800 buses, 2,400 buses to get people to the starting line. So it'll be, that's the part that's going to be interesting. I think we can do trail racing, triathlon. I think those things are set up for being socially distant it's the mass marathons that are going to be interesting to see if, if those can come back. Yeah. And, you know, just in, in the starting corral, I mean, how, how are they going to work starting corrals? It can't, it can't be the way it used to be because we know how, when I mean, we were all bunched in together, I can't see that happening for a couple of years now. Well, Dean, you, what I love is you've been the guy really, when it came to ultra running, you really helped to put mm -hmm. ultra running on the map, kicking and screaming. <laughs> Didn't, didn't want you to do that. But uh, what you did was you opened up the outdoors to so many people 
who had been maybe running the roads a little bit, had never done trail races. You should be really proud of the, the fact that you've been a huge part of bringing people to, to the wilderness and finding out what their limits are. Yeah, I call it the, uh, the road to trail conversion. And I think once you run on a trail, you know, it's just, <laughs> there's so many advantages over, you know, running on the road. So I think it's just a natural progression. And hopefully we'll see you back at Catalina Marathon one of these days. That uh, We did the Catalina Eco, but I don't know if you've done the regular Catalina that's usually in March. No, I haven't. And I'd love to go back. My family you know asked about that race. You know, it was, that, was, that was a great affair. I mean, my family asked all the time about it. When Your daughter, going? being a trail runner, would love that marathon. That maybe we'll set that up for next March. She might, she might like that. That is a really great event. Yeah, all the way around. I, you know, is Catalina open right now? Can you get out there? You can. <clears throat> yeah, and I think Mike Wardian went out there and did some running. We were trying to get Mike to the, actually, it was the week that COVID shut the world down. I think it was like a 11th, 12th of March last year. We were about to go to Catalina. And I wanted Mike to break uh, Buffalo Bill McDermott's course record. And we were all set, all systems go, and then the world shut down. So hopefully next March we'll uh, we'll set that up again and get you out there as well. That'd be really fun. Yeah, I mean I was literally on a on a <clears throat> on an Uber to SFO to fly to Uzbekistan for the inaugural Tashkent Marathon. Uh, I was going to be the uh, official ambassador and host of the Tashkent um, uh, Marathon, and literally got a a, a call uh, that re things were closing down. Right. I know, I know exactly what you guys went through. What's fascinating to me is for someone like yourself, really, you, you make your living off of these events, either being ambassador, spokesman, et cetera. How much has this hurt you personally, just this whole COVID not being able to go to events and, and represent these events? Yeah, no, it's been tough, Bob. I have to be honest. Um, <clears throat> between, I think I had every single event canceled that I was supposed to go to last year. Yeah. And probably half of the keynote addresses, probably more than that, were canceled. And they became, you know, the ones that, that still had the events were virtual. So right. I've had to really hustle a lot. <laughs> Hopefully this book will sell well because, um, yeah, my, uh, my bread and butter, these events have, have gone away. Right. Well, they'll come back and the book is going to be a bestseller because <laughs> the last one was a bestseller. And this one is, is really, I think, more personal. I think it really takes people more deeply inside what makes you tick and what makes you do the things you do. Well, thank you. I, uh, I tried to write it from the heart and, you know, again, hopefully it, people will get motivated and energized by it and also get absorbed by it. No question. Dean, thank you so much for always taking time, always being so generous with your time. We, we love supporting anything that you do and having you part of our world is always special. The book again, Runner's High, My Life in Motion, Mr. Dean Carnesis has been our guest. Dean the Dream, thank you so much for joining us. Yeah, I'm I'll, give you a hug, Bob. I'll give you a big There we go. We're hugging away. I like <laughs> it. Pro hug, yeah. <laughs> Thanks, everybody, for tuning in. Dean the Dream, you are the best.